0: WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa.
1: Hello, everybody. This is WVUA 90.7 FM, the Capstone, and welcome to episode number 39 of the Full Court Press Podcast. My name is Jamie Martinez, and I'm joined by Alex Chasen and Nick Atkinson. On today's episode, look forward to league news and our favorite second options of all time. Now, real quick. I want to clarify what a second option is. That is the the second option of an NBA team. So, for an example, you have the Michael Jordan. He was the first option, the main guy on the squad. Then you had Scottie Pippen. He was the second option. We're going to be counting off our personal favorite second options of all time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at fcppodcast underscore UA and on TikTok at fcp underscore podcast.
2: With that being said, let's get into it. Some more... NBA awards have been officially announced. We made our votings. So last podcast, we talked about Triple Triple J winning the Deep De'Aaron Fox winning the Clutch Player of the Year. Mike Brown, we knew this because Woj dropped the Woj bomb, but he has been officially named Coach of the Year for Jamie's Kings. And also, for my Boston Celtics, Sixth Man of the Year goes to no one other than Barack Obama. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon. They got the same exact voice. Malcolm Brogdon has won Sixth Man of the Year. So, Jamie... You've talked about Mike Brown before, but if you want to look, give a little quick recap of this team taking a 360 degree turnaround.
1: Yeah, so uh, the Kings have been in poverty for the last 16, 17 years, and we all know it. Mike Brown comes in with uh, essentially a very similar roster to last year, except he brings in a few big names uh, as soon as he's put into, put into the helm, like Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, et cetera, et cetera. Completely turns the team around in just one season, and he wins. He's actually the first ever unanimous. Coach of the year in the history of the NBA, and I think it's very well deserved. Uh, we're up the Kings are up 2 1 against the Golden State Warriors, they did just lose at home, but I don't think it's a reason to fret. The Kings they're
2: going to be just fine, and it's all due to Mike Brown with a very deserving coach of the year in the second of his career. And then, sixth man of the year is my boy Malcolm Brogdon, my Boston Celtics. I love this for Malcolm. Talked about this a few podcasts ago. He is a starter in the NBA. You put him on 25 of these 30 teams in the NBA, he will be their starting guard, point guard, shooting guard in this league, without a doubt. With that said, he is so well-deserving of this. Again, starter coming off the bench. It doesn't get any better for the Boston Celtics, and I'm very happy for Malcolm Brogdon. Brad Stevens fleeced the Indiana Pacers. Malik Fitz, Nick Stauskis, Juwan Morgan, Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, and I believe a first-round pick for Malcolm Brogdon, that is a fleece right there for the sixth man of the year. Moving on to some coaching news. I made a video of this. Check out the Instagram. Jamie plugged it earlier. FCP podcast underscore UA. Go check it out. I made a video on this on, on this yesterday. Nick Nurse is out as the Raptors head coach. Sources tell ESPN per Adrian Mojarowski. Nick, is this surprising? To me, this is surprising. I'll give your take, I'll give my take after you. But Nick, I want to know how you feel about this.
0: <clears throat> um Yeah, I do kind of think it's surprising just because they were in the play-in and you usually don't fire one of the best coaches in the NBA who won you a title in his first season on the team and has continued to give you playoff success and has a culture built with the players already. But I think this just kind of goes to say that they're probably going to trade their core, at least probably everybody but Scotty and OG. I completely agree. This is what I said
2: in the video that – I think this shows the Raptors are completely rebuilding. My only thing about him winning a championship is Kawhi. It could have just been great timing that he got Kawhi, and Kawhi was one of the main drivers. Don't get me wrong. Nick Nurse is the coach, and I think coaches don't get enough credit because these days you see the LeBron James era where we're like, oh, you don't need a coach. I disagree with that. Some aspects I believe coaches are necessary, and he definitely helped aid in that championship. But again, he was blessed having Kawhi Leonard as his star player as his first year as a head coach. Five years later, though, he is out as the Raptors head coach. I think this proves that the Raptors have been middling and they want to go to rebuild mode. I completely agree. This offseason, keep an eye out on Pascal, keep an eye on Gary Trent, keep an eye out on Fred Van Fleet, keep an eye out on OG and I think everyone but Scottie Barnes could be possibly out. I think Scotty Barnes should be safe because he is young and still has a potential there. Maybe even OG, but I just think he's proved that his offensive ability isn't going to flourish like his defense is. We still don't know about Scotty, So that's my take on that, Jamie. you have anything on that? What I find crazy is that this isn't the first time the Raptors have done this. Right. They
1: fired uh, Dwayne Casey the year after he won Coach of the Year. And now we're seeing Nick Nurse, a former Coach of the Year, getting released after he leads the team into the play-in. So um, the Raptors... Some pretty questionable decisions over the last few years, but I do think it's time for the rebuild. They got their title, and I think they're going to kind of replenish
2: the roster and see what they could do for the future. And we asked you guys, I posted a poll on Instagram, and 80% of you said that, yes, time to completely rebuild Toronto when I asked, should they have fired Nick Nurse? And 20% said, no, he's been a good coach for them, and you, got, you know the Raptors should have kept him. So 80 to 20 there, I think we're all in agreement that yeah, it was kind of interesting and kind of odd, but I think it's definitely time for the Raptors to rebuild and stop middling as a team and just completely rebuild that roster. And that's what Masai Ujiri has decided to do. That's the direction he's decided to take the Raptors, at least by coaching. Well, I mean, it's really going to come down to the offseason and see what they do. Because as of right now, it's leading towards, I think they just need to rebuild and blow it up. But again, we got to see what they do this coming offseason up there in Toronto. Ima Odoka, he's been put on a lot of teams, but he has been the first candidate mentioned to replace Nick Nurse in Toronto. I think that is a possibly a good option for them. Again, he, Houston, Pistons, here in Toronto, any of those places I think would be good for Ima Odoka. I think he does deserve another job after what happened in Boston. Obviously, terrible what he did. You know, he shouldn't have uh, done what he did with the female staffer, yada, yada, yada. But coaching-wise, I think he does deserve a second chance because his NBA mind is so top tier. That he helped aid in getting the Celtics to a championship as his first year as a head coach. Now, where will Nick Nurse land? Houston is the number one option right now for Nick Nurse, per Adrian Wojnarowski. They have their eyes set on Nick Nurse. My question is: Is does Nick Nurse really want to go to a team that's just so young? And well, I, don't, I, I don't. The
1: Rockets are looking to bring in James Harden, and from what I've heard, it's all but locked that James Harden will be a Houston Rocket. So I think that'll be a good piece for Nurse, having that veteran guy to kind of if that does. Kind of commercial. lead the locker room, and I think with him bringing in, I could see a, a Kevin Porter Jr. trade happening, um, maybe moving something along the lines of Jalen Green. Um, and I think Nurse would be a good thing for Jalen Green, just because he's such a shot-chucker, he's so young, and maybe he'll build him into more of a team player uh, if they do bring in a guy like James Harden um, to team up with like Alperen Sengun, who's a rising star in the NBA. So I think Nick Nurse is honestly the best-case scenario for
2: the uh, Houston Rockets. Yeah, I just don't know if he wants to deal with... like I mean, Again, there's only so many jobs available. Obviously, he's not going to go back to the Raptors. So, right now, it's the Pistons or the Rockets, as of the coaching firing so far. Uh, he's about to
1: get another really good player, too. Yeah. I
2: mean, they're I mean, going to have a high pick. It's not official with James Harden yet, obviously. But it's definitely been trending that way with some news outlets. So, we'll see on that. I don't know. Nick, do you have any takes on where you'd
0: like to see him? Uh, Detroit. By far, I'd like to see him in Detroit because they already have... A team that is going to compete better than the Rockets anyways. And they have a more built roster. So I think that Detroit would be the best place for him to go just so he could try to build something because I think they have way more potential than Houston.
2: I agree. I I do like the Pistons more because they have more, again, Rodney McGuire is nothing great. Boganovich is pretty good. But they have more vets in that locker room instead of trying to build such a young team. Again, if Harden does go back to the Rockets, then – that might sway my opinion a little bit, but as of right now, I think the Pistons would be a better landing spot because he doesn't have to work from nothing, and he still has vets in that locker room that can help him out and build that young core into something special.
1: I think he built build Cade Cunningham up really good too. is uh, yes, somewhat of a
2: superstar. That.
1: I mean, I'm very excited to see what Kate Cunningham can do. So, and if you're those teams, I don't really think you can go wrong. You got Email Doka, Nick Nurse. There's a lot of good candidates. Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson floating around the uh, the Golden State Warriors assistant coach. That's Kenny Atkinson. Oh, I thought he was in Brooklyn. Who was the Brooklyn? He was the Brooklyn head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then there was somebody else. I think it was Toronto's. But I mean, there's like a lot of very good candidates
2: out there. There's a lot of good options that most of these teams can't can't go wrong, especially the top three, like you said, Doka, Nurse, and then Kenny Atkinson. I'd say those are the top three Mm. candidates out right now, and I think. Wherever they go, it wouldn't be a bad landing spot for them. Moving on to just playoff recap so far, starting off with the East. The Bucs and Heat are tied at one apiece. Now, when you're listening to this podcast, most likely the Bucks will be up 2-1. The Heat could be up 2-1, but I don't know. But I'm also not, a, you know, I can't see into the future. But if I could, it would probably be the Bucs are up 2-1. That is today at 7.30 Eastern. But as of right now, the series is tied 1-1. And the Bucs came out in Game 2 and absolutely throttled the Miami Heat 138-122 to without... Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is a huge win for them. Created the whole starting five, Allen, Middleton, Lopez, the whole starting five five showed up. But what was really the telling story was Pat Connington off the bench and Joe Ingles off the bench. Joe Ingles had 17 points. Pat Connington, I believe, had 22 points off the bench for Milwaukee, which just aids in just the truth-telling of how good their depth is in Milwaukee and how scary they can be with Giannis, obviously and without Giannis. That's a huge win for them. They tied the series 1-1. We'll see what happens tonight. Again, when you're listening to this podcast, one of those teams will be up 2-1, most likely Milwaukee, but it is my it is in Miami. So we'll see what happens on that standpoint. Moving on to the next series in the Eastern Conference, Cavs versus Knicks. That series, the, Cav, the Knicks are up 2-1 in that series with the win last night. And the Knicks, wow. They just balled out in Madison Square Garden. At, I back tried at telling home. people. You, you did tell them. I that. tried
1: telling people Madison Square Garden is an extremely hard place to play, and people didn't believe me. But now look, they just throttled the Cavs last night because it was in a ruckus Madison Square Garden. Jalen Brunson had himself a night. So um, yeah, I I could definitely
2: see. Without a doubt in my mind, the Knicks going up 3-1 in this series. I think it goes 7 still. But the funny part is, is that was the lowest scoring performance by any team in the NBA. And this comes in the playoffs. Uh-huh. 79 points was the lowest scoring game. No one scored under any under points through all 82 games until the playoffs, which is very interesting to see. I knew this was going to be a very defensive series. I mean, game one was 101-97. Game two was 107-90. Game three, like we just talked about, 99-79. So very defensive series. Both teams have great defense. Both teams have great offense. But it just shows how good those defenses are. Mm-hmm. moving on to the 76ers versus the Nets. Currently the 76ers are up 3-0 against the Brooklyn Nets and they are they're up 3-0, but each game has been score-wise the first game is 121-101, but it was still close most of the game. Game 2 96-84 close to the end. And then Game 3 was close the entire time. Brooklyn even, I believe, took a little bit of a lead in that one. But anyways, Philly came out on top 102-97. I believe it was Brooklyn blew a 13-point lead. I believe that's what it was. And the 76ers came out on on top
0: 102-97.
2: Nick, how do you feel about Tyrese Maxey just turning into an absolute monster in Game 3?
0: Yeah, I like it a lot. I want to see him to continue to do this... That first option role, because I think that that's what he's going to turn into, especially once Joel kind of ages out a little bit. I think the Tyrese Max, he is, he's a better playoff performer. He's so he's much more consistent in the playoffs compared to how he is in the regular season. I was saying that he's been the best player on both sides this entire series, because he's been a 20-plus point game scorer, and he's still facilitating the ball and playing the best perimeter defense on the team. So I, I really like what I've seen from him. I like what I've seen from P.J. Tucker, actually. Um... Defensively, because he's just not good offensively. And then, uh, of course, Joel's injured, but um, I don't think one either.
2: Yeah, that was about to get into that. For Game 4, Joel Embiid is listed as out for Game 4 against Brooklyn. That is today, so you guys will know the outcome when you listen to this podcast. But there's optimism he could be ready to return as soon as early as next week per Adrian Wojnarowski. My take on this, again, MRI revealed Sixers star Joel Embiid suffered a sprained right knee. That, that's what's going on with Joel. Sorry, I didn't say that before, but... I think it's more precautionary because you're up 3-0. You have the ability to drop a game. You don't want to drop a game in the playoffs. I think you'd rather sweep and then just rest. But with that said, you do have the ability to drop a game. So I think this is more precautionary than just throwing him out there. Uh, If this was like a game seven, he'd definitely be out there. That's my take on it. Again, I'm not a doctor, but that's just my opinion on it. Looking at him being out, but you're up 3-0, I think you you have the ability to drop a game. Moving on to my series here, the Celtics versus the Hawks. The Celtics are up now 2-1 in the series they dropped last night's game, 130-122. to 122. And this was the Celtics' worst defensive rating in over a season. Uh, nothing to worry about me. For me as a Celtics fan, that won't happen again. But it was very interesting to see Trey Young and DeJounte Murray have a very good game at home versus being in the Garden and just not doing much. So it was nice to see the Hawks actually play good basketball for once against the poorest Celtics defense. But again, that probably won't happen again. Game 4 is Sunday at 7... 7 p.m. Eastern, when hopefully the Celtics uh, don't have that series tied 2-2. Moving out west, the Nuggets are up 3-0 against the Minnesota Timberwolves after last night's 120-111 to win. And again, this series is a lot closer than it looks on the 3-0 board right there. Last night, Anthony Edwards, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, this series is not over. It's not first to three. It's first to four. We will be back Um Hate to break it to you, Ant, but you have a long run ahead of you. you got to win one game first. You're down 3-0, and playoff Murray is better than playoff Jokic 10 out of 10 times. I do want to say that. He hit two. I was watching the end of this game last night. He hit two clutch free throws to seal the game for the Nuggets, and then the Timberwolves made some turnovers, and the Nuggets hit some more shots to make their lead even more. But anyways, Jamal Murray was the start of that engine. Yes, Jokic did have a triple-double. But it's a triple-double that didn't really win him the game, in my opinion. It was like 16-10-10, and 10, which was great. He has the second most triple-doubles in playoff history for a big man, right behind Loke Chamberlain. I saw that, and I started laughing, be like, oh, Russell Westbrook wasn't mentioned. But it was for a big man in the NBA. Moving on to Suns versus Clippers. The Suns are up 2-1 to one against the Los Angeles Clippers. And big news, Kawhi Leonard was out for Game 3. Suns won that 129-124, and he is now listed as out for Game 4. With a right knee sprain, according to sources, per Adrian Wojnarowski. This is huge. The game is tonight, or this afternoon at 3.30. You guys will know the outcome when you're listening to this on Monday. But when you're listening to this, the Suns could be up 3-1. Nick, I can't even hate on you, because if you lose this series, I can't even give you a flack for it, because it really wasn't a fair loss.
0: Um, I mean... Well, it wouldn't be the first time Kevin Durant will blow a three-one lead, so I mean, I'm not gonna count that out. And we've also been injured, and we've been within five. Uh, t- we were in five of the game, of game two, and then they, we just started sitting our players. So Bones Highland missed a huge three that could have actually made this game even closer yeah. in game three. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it is what it is. Russell Westbrook and Norman Powell had just had no help whatsoever. Um, Bones Highland, he's got to start making his shots. Um, he he's been shooting a lot of shots and they just haven't been going in. He, it's just it just goes to show how young he is and that he has no playoff. He has playoff experience from last season, but it just goes to show that he's inexperienced and he needs to stop shooting the ball in the series. And I think that Terrence Mann, he needs to start doing what he needs to do. We need to, we just need everybody to do good. I think that we could steal a game. I think we could steal the game tonight. I, I'm gonna I'm never gonna sit there and. Say I think my team is going to lose because that's just not what I do. So, but um, you know what needs to happen tonight for the Clippers to you got to make a surprise. You got to shut down Devin Booker because Westbrook's been guarding Kevin Durant. That's been that's been good, but Devin Booker can, has been the best player on the series on both sides. So I think that you know you got to. I don't know who you could even put on Devin Booker to stop him because I I mean you could do. He, they've had Eric Gordon on him. Eric Gordon's a good defender, but he's really more of a point guard defender. And Westbrook would be on Booker if Kawhi was there. Well, probably not. Kawhi would probably be on Booker. But Westbrook has been guarding KD so good, I just don't want to have him off of Kevin Durant. So, I don't know. You just got to put one of the best defenders on the team on him. So I agree with that. Moving on
2: to the Kings versus Warriors. The Kings are currently up 2-1. to They actually dropped Game 3. When they went into Golden State, again, the Warriors, worst road team. But apparently at home, they are the best team in the world when they're at home. Game three, the Warriors won 114-97. A convincing win for the Golden State Warriors. Game four is Sunday night at 3.30. Again, you'll know the outcome for Monday. But, Jamie, what is your take on game three and that whole outcome? So I kind of
1: anticipated this. Uh, If you've been listening to what I've been saying about this series, I knew the Kings were going to be up 2-0, and then I think the Warriors would win the next two. Uh, Game three, kind of personified it. I didn't necessarily think the game would be this much of a blowout. Um, Sacramento showed their inexperience in the playoffs with this one, especially being away um, in such a a terrifying playoff uh, atmosphere like Golden State. So um, the Warriors convincing win without Draymond Green. Kevon Looney played the game of his life with 20 rebounds. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo was all over House of Highlights for that one double dribble That nobody got called out for Um, So the Warriors They got a convincing game 3 I do believe game 4 will be much closer Because Sacramento's shots just weren't falling They were getting good looks The ball was just not going in the hoop So um, game 4 I do believe it will be a closer contest But watch out
2: for game 5 And the rest of the series Because that's when it's going to start to get spicy Moving on to our final series in the playoffs So far as the Grizzlies versus the Lakers That series is split at one game apiece which the Grizzlies won 103-93 without John Morant Mm -hmm. Lakers are fully healthy that just shows that the Lakers are Lakers still and this series is going to go a very long way John Morant I just looked it up right now John Morant is questionable for tonight's game three but with that said I mean obviously you want him out there because it gives you a better chance of winning but you just won without him against a fully healthy Lakers team and now you're going to LA Nick said it multiple times over the past few weeks Lakers do not take advantage of their home court advantage and that could come to fruition tonight while you're going to LA now we'll see what happens I mean if you get your doors blown out i would be like hey John ja, just let's manage that pain pain and come back for game four because you don't want to go down 3-1 That's you're not going to win this I mean it's going to be very hard to come back 3-1 but if you can get a convincing win tonight in LA without John Morant I think you can keep him out for a little bit and let him continue to rest that hand and wrist area But with that said I'm very excited for the series it could go all the way to 7 on the pace it is right now both teams having convincing wins back to back so we'll see what happens on that standpoint. Let's keep our eyes out for the rest of these playoff games. And let's move on to our segment for the day, our favorite second options of all time. Jamie explained a little bit further earlier. I'll just give a couple, few more examples. You know, obviously, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Anthony Davis, obviously, to LeBron James. And now let's start off with Nick with his
0: first one of his favorite second option of all time. I wonder who it's going to be. All right. So my first one, it's um, Russell Westbrook to Kevin Durant, you know, from 08 to 2016. They were probably the second-best duo in the NBA at that time, You know, second to Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Um, They had had a a lot of success, and when they were not successful, it was because they were injured, and they were injured every single year of them being together after Harden was traded from the team. Russell Westbrook played um, some of his best basketball with Durant. Obviously, he wasn't like a first-team player. He was a second-team player back then. Um, But as far as statistics go... When he was playing with Durant, he was a much worse three-point shooter, but he was not shooting as consistently. Um, the this, this season I think that they could have been the most successful as far as winning a championship would have been 2014-15. He averaged 28-7-9, and 9. so and um, 43% from the field, 30% from three. This was also the year he started getting a lot of triple-doubles. Kevin Durant just had gotten injured. So that was the issue there. And I think that they probably could have went on to win a couple more t- – went on to win a couple of titles if they would have stayed together. Or um, if they didn't blow the 3-1. That's Kevin Durant. But um, No,
2: I know. I wasn't saying Russ. I'm just saying if they didn't blow a 3-1
0: and went to play Cleveland. I don't know. Not LeBron in that year, I don't think. that he was. I think that, that regardless, he was going to win the title that year. Uh, that's, just, that's just how – I don't know. But, I mean, maybe not. Who knows? But um, you know, I, I just feel like injuries really plagued them as far as a duo, and because you look, you look at 11, um, 2012, 2013. They, they're in the first round against Houston, and he gets he tears his meniscus because Pat Bev trips him or whatever happened there. Then um, he's out for the whole half of the next season, Kevin Durant's MVP season. He only played 46 games for with with Russell Westbrook. That's not a lot of games. He. He's always a 65 plus guy his whole career. Besides this, this season and 57 with the Rockets, that was COVID though. Um, but but yeah, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant they they definitely would have been a little bit more successful if. They wouldn't have been injured every year because then you get into 2014-15, the the season, Westbrook had almost averaged a triple-double that year. Kevin Durant was injured that whole whole season. It was the year after his MVP year. He got injured in the preseason. He was back for like the last 20 games as they tried to make a playoff push, but they could not do it. And Serge Ibaka was out the whole season. And they just didn't have really anybody on the team. So, you know, it's just kind of, to me, it was kind of unfair for them to just be injured literally every season after Harden was gone, besides 2015-16, and they went pretty far that year, I feel like depth was just a big problem there. But, um, you know, as far as them two go, they're the, they're the best scoring duo of all time, and without a doubt, you know, they they, ha- they have all the records set for the most points, you know, scored as a duo. JT and JB are coming. Mm, I don't know about that. But, you know, I mean, according to y'all, he's the best scorer of all time, you know. And then you got him best with the probably a top five scoring point guard of all time. He actually second in... Points for a point guard, you. so, you know. I, I have Westbrook later when we talk about our favorite duos. Yeah, but I mean... I don't know what else I'm going to add, but I have them later. Yeah, Russell, um, I definitely think that they would have won, won a title one of those four years they were together if if they would have just been healthy at the right time. It's just how it goes. Bro.
2: For me, I have to start off with Bradley Beal with John Wall. Maybe a little surprising as a Celtics fan in that battle back in 2016-2017 play, playoffs, but... Bradley Beal with John Wall was one of the most fun basketball teams to watch. It was kind of like that Brooklyn Nets team back with D'Lo and that whole bench unit there. It was just a very like energetic team that never won anything, but they were just really fun to watch. You have a young Bradley Beal, you know, a Dougie John Wall. They spent seven seasons together from 2011-2012 season to the 2018-2019 season, right before John Wall tore his Achilles, and that kind of ended the whole John Wall era in Washington. With that said, they had a winning record, four out of seven seasons, so I mean... I know, Nick, we've talked about this before, and, You know they never won anything, especially John Wall, I completely agree, but they did have a winning record more times than not when they were together, as I do. And they made the playoffs also four out of seven years, and three of those years getting into the Eastern Semifinals, facing off against some good LeBron teams, Celtics teams, so they never made it to the next level. Beal alongside Wall was a two-time All-Star, he averaged 19 points, four four rebounds, almost four assists, one steal. 45% from the field, almost 40% from three. That duo was just so fun to watch growing up. That duo, after the Celtics, Russell Westbrook, when I was like a huge real fan, they can call me fake, but in that time, I was a huge fan back in that day. But with that said, after those t- top two guys... Beal and John Wall were one of the most fun duos to watch. I just loved watching them play basketball. Again, never got to that next level. Never got to the Eastern Conference Final. <clears throat> never made it to the championship. But they were just so dynamic together and so strong and powerful together. They were just one of the most fun duos to watch, in my opinion. All right. Moving on to my first, uh, second option. I
1: have a little bit of a, a unique one, my, one that a lot of people wouldn't think of. That is Tyreek Evans with DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. Now, this was an absolutely... I would say underrated duo. Now, Tyreek Evans was drafted in 2009 and 2009 uh, 2010 in a class that involved Blake Griffin. No, yeah, Blake Griffin was in that class when yeah, he was Blake first Griffin, Curry. Steph Curry, James Harden, a lot of very big names. However, with those huge names, Tyreek Evans won Rookie of the Year, averaging 20 points a game, uh, a steal and a half, six assists, and five rebounds. He was absolutely phenomenal. Everybody thought he was a superstar. The very next year, though, 2010, the Sacramento Kings draft Marcus Cousins, um, and a lot of people, from what they saw within those first few years, I, they thought Sacramento was up next because that duo was had a lot of potential. However, uh, it didn't uh, necessarily pan out, despite um, Tyreek Evans still managing to be a solid, solid player out in Sacramento. Uh, over the next three years, he averaged 18 points, 16 points, 15 points. So yeah, the numbers were going down. Um, but Sacramento did have some decent pieces at the time. Uh, they had Isaiah Thomas for a little bit, Rajon Rondo, Rudy Gay. Uh, so a lot of pieces going in and out within Sacramento. However, Tyreek Evans still managed to be a dog um, and was kind of blackballed out of the league, unfortunately. He was He's always been an underrated player, only one time in his career averaging less than 10 points a game. And in his second to last year in the league in Memphis, he was averaging 20 points a game. So I think he was extremely underrated throughout his entire career. And especially in Sacramento, I think he could have been a superstar if it weren't for some, let's just say, off-the-court activities, um, as well as some unfortunate things that just happened along uh, with injuries and lack of winning out in Sacramento, not good management. So I think Tyreek Evans, was he's one of my personal favorite players of all time. I'll always remember him for that game-winning half-court shot. Uh, back in I think 2009 or 2010 uh, I believe it was his rookie year so Tyree Gevins will always have a special place in my heart and I'll always appreciate him for what he did in Sacramento uh,
2: he was one of the most pure scorers yes. in the NBA he I never, like, I'm never like a star <laughs> he was always a little bit under a star level yeah. but he was a bucket and I yeah, I do remember him especially in Indiana his last few years yeah in Indiana he was a bucket he was on some of those playoff teams with Brogdon and Oli Depot yeah he,
1: was, he only played in Indiana for one year uh, in 2018 he averaged 10 a game uh, I remember him with
2: Ole and Brogdon.
1: He's always been a good defender, too. And then he uh, he played four years in New Orleans, too, uh, averaging 15, 16, 15. So he's never not been a like good productive, player. Yeah. yeah, he's always been a productive guy. He just never gets talked about.
0: So, Tyreek Evans, I'll always remember you. Moving on to my number two, I have Dwayne Wade to LeBron. Obviously, this is probably the biggest name that we'll, any of us will have, but – um. I just have them here because I miss seeing them two play together. It was really the first team that I disliked was them two, and it was just because of how good they were. You know, His time with LeBron, he was averaging right around 21 points per game through the four seasons. He was shooting the, the best three-point percentage of his entire career, and that's just because, you know, how LeBron plays the driving kicks and just creating opportunities for his, his teammates. And they also won two titles. Dwayne Wade, four-time All-Star at this point. He also was a way better defender at this point, around two steals per game. And, you know, obviously they weren't as successful as people thought they were going to be, but they still won two titles. Dwayne Wade has three titles. But, um, you know, I just think as far as – the best duos of all time, I think they're probably right up there with you know Scotty and and Jordan and Kobe and Kobe and Shaq. I don't know why I blinked on Shaq, but um, you know I think that if they would have stayed together, they probably wouldn't have won another title just because of the Warriors coming you know coming out to be what they were and then would have been
2: a lot more entertaining.
0: Yeah, I think so too. But I mean, at the same time, he's Dwayne was a lot older yeah. at this point. He was I mean he's forty one now, so ten years ago he was 30, 31, 32 years old. So. Especially going into, like, 2015-16, he was already, like, 35 years old. So I think that they probably wouldn't have been half as successful as the Cavs were getting to the finals for, like, six years straight. And, I mean, I don't know. I think it was a good thing for them to split up. Obviously, they did re-team back up um, on Cleveland, and he averaged around 11, around 11 points per game. And then he ended up going back to Miami. But, um, yeah, I just think that this, as far as entertainment, this is the, the most entertaining duo of all time.
2: For my number two, again, these are in no particular order. We're just kind of going around the horn talking about it. But I got to go with Kyrie Irving to LeBron James. It felt like a lot longer than three seasons they played together. But it was only three seasons because then Kyrie came to Boston. In those three seasons from 2014 to 2015, the 2016 to 2017 season, again, so weird just thinking about it was just three seasons. They made the finals all three years they were together as a duo, winning one right in the middle. As we all know, came came back from down 3-1 against the Warriors in the 2015-16 season. One of the best stories of all time in NBA history. Right in the middle of their three years together, they won an NBA champion. But again, they were in it. All three years, Kyrie Irving, alongside LeBron James, was a two-time All-Star, Average 22 points per game, three rebounds, five assists, one and a half steals on 47% from the field and almost 40% from three. Kyrie Irving, that's where the dog started to come out. He hit that game-winning shot, not he's not at the buzzer, but you know what I mean, to really seal the deal for them in the finals in Game Seven in the 2016 Finals, and that was some of the best basketball Kyrie Irving has ever played. That then got him a bag. Or you know they you know when they, obviously they, I mean they traded for him but then, they, then that's what earned Kyrie Irving a bag down the line in Brooklyn but it was definitely a very fun time again it was so weird to think about that it was just three years and it felt like a lot longer they were together because then LeBron James was there one more year and then he went to LA which again LeBron James has been in LA for five years he's been in LA longer than he was in Cleveland which is so weird to think about because I felt like he was in Cleveland. For so Forever. long, those four years. I mean, obviously he was there at the beginning of his career for like the first eight, nine years of his career and then went to Miami and then back to Cleveland. But those four years felt like a lot longer than four years. I think it might have been because that's like when we were just like growing up and it just everything was just still like moving slow in our lives. But looking back on it, it's crazy. It was just three years for Kyrie and LeBron and then just four years for LeBron James. But yeah, I got to go with Kyrie Irving to LeBron James for my second dude. For my second guy. All right. I'm going to move
1: on to my second, second option, uh, favorite. And I'm going to move on to... In my eyes, probably my favorite center of all time, that being Yao Ming, big China to Tracy McGrady in Houston when they were both on the Rockets. One of my, probably my favorite duo of all time. Both of these guys were absolute menaces. Yao Ming drafted in 2002, and what a lot of people don't realize, he was only drafted one year before LeBron James, which is kind of weird to think about. Because um, I feel like you always think of Yao Ming being this very old player back in the day. But only one year before LeBron James, which kind of tripped me out when I when I thought about it. And then two years before Dwight Howard. So uh, Tracy McGrady doesn't come to Houston until 2004, which is about two years into Yao Ming's career. But it's not until Tracy McGrady comes over until Yao Ming starts getting those career numbers up. His first year with Tracy McGrady in 2004, he averages 18 points a game nine rebounds the next year he gets up to 22 points a game and 10 rebounds and then he averages his career best year uh in 2006-2007 alongside Terry C. McGrady with 25 points a game uh nine 9.4 rebounds and two blocks so Yao Ming in my eyes for what he did in his prime in those few years he did play is like prime wise one of like an all-time great center um, he was absolutely unstoppable standing at 7'4". Um, international guy, first overall pick, absolute dominant. He was Shaquille O'Neal's worst nightmare. Uh, just destroyed that guy every time they played. And Shaquille O'Neal, when you ask him about it, will say nothing but great things about Yao Ming. And alongside Tracy McGrady, they were absolute superstars. Uh, we all know what TMAC was capable of doing uh, scoring-wise, especially out in Houston Um, because even though he wasn't in his best years, uh, which were probably in Orlando, he was still a monster. Um, He played with Yao Ming all the way up until the end of his career in 2010 where Yao Ming in that 2010 season only played five games due to injury and he didn't even play the entire 2009 season due to injury. So it's extremely sad to see a player of his stature go down the way he did because um, in my eyes... He is a major what-if situation in the NBA. What if Yaming never got hurt? Uh, he is a Hall of Famer. However, what like what conversation would he be in if he had never gotten those injuries? Because with his size, it was kind of bound to happen, unfortunately. But, I mean, with his prime, he, he could be in that all-time great center conversation. So, Yaming is my favorite center of all time. And
2: alongside Tracy McGrady, they were unstoppable. I like you bring up the fact that he was drafted a year before LeBron. LeBron's obviously still in the uh-huh. league now. He's a rare, rare case of playing so long. But again, Yao could have probably retired like five years ago yeah. instead of ten years ago. It's mm-hmm. crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, Yao may retired thirteen years ago. Thirteen And was only more. drafted
2: one year before LeBron James. Yeah, that, that's
1: crazy. Again, injuries like you just so said. So that speaks explained. to two things: injuries in the NBA and how insane LeBron James is.
2: So age is like a fine wine, baby.
0: Mm-hmm. Moving on to my number three spot, I have Drew Holiday to Anthony Davis. This was obvious this wasn't too successful of a this wasn't too successful of a team. They were only made the playoffs two out of the five years that they were together. But when they were together, they were one of the most entertaining duos, you know, of the of the two thousand mid twenty tens. So you know, he averaged right around seventeen seven, and he was the best defensive guard in the NBA at the time. I mean, you had guys like Tony Allen, but I, I would still give it to Drew Holiday. You know. They also the years that they were together, they they didn't they weren't successful as I was saying. But they also really didn't have a lot of teams. Like he said before, like Jimmy said before, they had Tyreek Evans, they had Drew Holiday, they had AD, and that was it. That was the only players on the team. They also had Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. That was like the starting five. You know, that's just not that's not going to lead to to success. That's why Anthony Davis is not on the team. That's why Drew Holiday is winning titles with the Bucks now. So, you know. But as far as, like, just being one of my favorite duos, this this is definitely up there. It's one of the first teams that I really sat down and watched because in 2014-15, like I was saying, Kevin Durant was injured, so OKC wasn't too competitive. So I just started watching the Pelicans a lot, and I started to really like Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans and Anthony Davis, but specifically specifically Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis just because I like the way that they played together. They went on a playoff run that season. They were the eighth seed against Golden State, and they took a couple games against Golden State. They were also the sixth seed at one point um, in 17-18 whenever they had got Boogie Cousins, and they were pretty good up until up until late in the playoffs when Boogie Cousins got injured, and, you know, that was the last time we saw anything of him. But, you know, them two together, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, they were never an all-star duo. Drew Holiday has only been a two-time all-star, once on the Sixers, once on the Bucks. But, um, you know, as far as entertainment, I really like to see them together, especially AD. He was a really good defender at the time. He's obviously still a good defender now, but back then he was, you know, in the race for deep every season. So, you know, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, two of the best defenders at their position at the time. Didn't have too much success, but they were still one of the most fun duos to watch.
2: Moving on to my next favorite second option of all time. Nick talked a lot about Russell Westbrook and KD. This is where I have Russell Westbrook and KD. He spent eight seasons with Kevin Durant from 2008 to 2016. What I will go into, because I don't need to jump into the whole detail again. Nick did a very good job explaining it earlier, but I will go into is just the records together. They had a winning record seven out of eight seasons together, except their first season together, Russell Westbrook's rookie year, they went 23 and 59. Atrocious. But then after that, they completely flipped their record around. They made the playoffs six out of eight years. Semif- uh, Western Conference semifinals, five out of eight years. Conference finals, four out of eight years. 50% of their seasons together, they made it to the conference finals. Crazy. And then, obviously, one year they made it over the hump into the finals. Never won it, as everyone knows. But Russell Westbrook alongside Kevin Durant was a five-time All-Star, 20 points per game, five rebounds, seven assists, almost two steals, 44% field goal percentage, and 30% from three. Again, like Nick talked about earlier, this is before Russell Westbrook really got into shooting more threes and then shooting them with some efficiency. That really hasn't been until, like, the past three, four years for Westbrook. But, again, this was the era of Russell Westbrook where he was driving to the paint and putting everything in your face, dunking over you. This was before he aged a little bit. And he's still doing it. We see flashes of that sometimes. It was a few weeks ago, he absolutely yammed over someone. I forget exactly who that was. I'm sure Nick knows. But anyways, this was when Westbrook was doing it five times a game with ease. Like a young Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook was that new man on the block. And it was so fun watching Westbrook and Katie again. Never won anything. But 50% of your seasons together, making it to the conference finals, one year going to the finals, semifinals, five out of eight years, you know, made the playoffs six out of eight years, and a winning record almost every year except your first year together, that's a success in my book because most teams don't have winning records together. Most teams don't make it to the semifinals. Most teams don't even make it to the, the finals once. So that's a success in my book. And we're also Westbrook and KD, one of my all five, all-time favorite duos, and obviously Westbrook as a second option. All right, so I'm going to move on to my third favorite duo,
1: or second option. Uh, I already talked about Tracy McGrady alongside Yao Ming. With Yao Ming being the second option. Now I want to get into Tracy McGrady himself. He was only the second option one time in his career, and that was when he was originally drafted by the Toronto Raptors in 1997, as he was the second option to his cousin Vince Carter. Which a lot of people don't realize; those two are related, and they were monsters at their time. T-Mac drafted in 1997, only played in Toronto for three years before moving on to Orlando and having the best. Uh, years of his career but uh, in Toronto first year only seven points a game as a rookie which isn't unusual to see especially because he was drafted out of high school Uh, next year nine points a game next year 15 points a game so he takes that jump in his third year in the league and him and Vince Carter despite being not despite not being absolutely dominant um, they were still extremely fun to watch uh, especially that dunk contest Uh, the outside of the Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine dunk contest. This probably might be the most iconic dunk contest of all time, especially because of Vince Carter. However, people don't necessarily talk about that he was competing against Tracy McGrady in that contest. No one and even knows that. No. Everyone just sees his highlights. Yeah. But T Mac had some absolutely monstrous dunks in there, too. So um, T Mac, alongside Vince Carter, was extremely fun to watch, even though T Mac wasn't on the level he was uh, until his very next year in Orlando when he jumps from 15 points a game to 27, and then 26, and then 32. And then 28. So uh, he wasn't a superstar at this time, but you could see the flashes alongside Vince Carter, and he absolutely balls out when he gets a team of his own. So T Mac, my favorite player of all time, I had to shout him out in this podcast because I don't rarely, I rarely get to talk about him. So um, big kudos, T Mac. Hashtag the big sleep.
0: All right. So for my number four, obviously I would have every. I mean, I, I want. Obviously, I, I could have every player that Westbrook's ever played with, but I'm settling to just two. Um, for my number four, though, I have Westbrook to James Harden. Um, mm. When when they were together, they were super successful. They were they were statistically the greatest scoring duo we've ever seen. They only played one season together. In this season, um, I want to look up James Harden's stats real quick. So bear with me, real quick. Um, James Harden, when they played together, obviously Westbrook made him a lot more efficient in this season, but he was averaging 34 points per game, 40 and 35 from field and three-point percentage. Harden was averaging six rebounds and seven assists. And then Westbrook was averaging right around 28 points, 27 points per game, eight rebounds, seven assists. They were the fourth seed in the Western Conference. Westbrook was injured in those playoffs. So this is the first playoff. As I've mentioned before, the first bubble. playoffs, first playoffs that he has been healthy since probably right around 2017. So, you know, as for, for Russell Westbrook, though, when they were playing together, they were making, they were you know getting triple doubles beside each other every single solitary game. I mean, both guys averaging twenty seven plus seven and seven is unheard of, and they they're both having like forty point forty point performances beside each other every other game. Is that the highest scoring duo of all time? Yeah, they're right up there. I, I think they're right up there. They're they're I know they're right up. They're like the top three of all time in a season. Then they have multiple performances in this season, averaging. You know, are getting like 60 points with each other, getting like 70 points, 80 points. You know, obviously Harden was the best scorer at the time. You know, 35 points per game is unheard of even now. You know, there's so many guys averaging 30 points, but nobody was is averaging 35 points per game, 36 points per game, and then also facilitating the basketball with each other and getting rebounds. So, you know, as I said before, they were the fourth seed in the Western Conference, and they got all. They got to the second round. They got past the first round without Westbrook. He was injured the whole the whole series against OKC. And then they play LA. Westbrook plays a really good series, but Harden just you know.
2: They're what? in third place as the highest scoring duo of
0: all time. Yeah,
2: behind Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, what Chamberlain and Paul Arizin, and then Westbrook and Harden.
0: Well, then basically
2: Westbrook and Harden was number one in my
0: books. Um, Bro, don't put no slack on Paul
2: Arisen And Jason Taylor and Jalen Brown are on this list. They're the only current duo on this list. It,
0: yeah, well, and I and in my opinion, you know, you have two of the greatest. You, yeah, I'll say it. Yeah, you have the two greatest scores at their position. No, 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 no. Kobe, Kobe, and Jordan are better than Harden at scoring. But Westbrook, I'm still gonna say he's probably the, the he better has the most points. He has the most points. Better than Curry? I mean, no, Curry's you know. I was gonna say if you have him over Steph Curry, that's crazy. But but Westbrook, as far as you know, racking up a lot of points over the years, it's. You know, a little bit better than Curry. He has a higher career high than He's Curry. He's played a A year longer? I mean... Curry
1: had those few injury seasons, too. So he was sort of Westbrook in his rookie years. So did Westbrook.
0: He got a whole dent in his face and a torn meniscus. Dent in his face? Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, he was, had well, the well. year after the, uh, the Toronto um,
0: finals where he didn't play, like, the entire year. I mean, yeah, Westbrook's had a season like that, too. But, you know, Westbrook... If Curry can catch him, then, yeah, I'll, I'll give that to him. But, you know... The point Curry is a better scorer. That's not, I'm not saying that he's not. I'm just saying Westbrook's a the second leading scorer for point guards. Um, you know, so Westbrook and Harden, they were a really good, entertaining duo. They were also on, they were also all stars. Westbrook was all NBA second team, Harden was all NBA first team. This is whenever he was also second in MVP in the MVP race. This is the second year Westbrook having a teammate in the MVP race coming in second for the second year straight. But, uh, yeah, that's my fourth. For me, I got to go with Steve Nash with a, Mari Stoudemire.
2: This is a little different for me. I never really talk about these guys often. But looking into this, and obviously I didn't see it too much because they were done by the 2010 season. They were six seasons together from 2004 to 2010. So really right around the time I was getting into the NBA, 2009, 10, this is when their duo – Ship ended, but Steve Nash with Amari Stoudemire made it, Amari Stoudemire one of the best NBA players in the league. They had a winning record six out of six years. Five of those years with over fifty wins. Two of those years over sixty wins. Seven seasons together. My bad. Best was sixty-two and twenty in their first year together in the two thousand four-five season. They went sixty-two and twenty. That is crazy. They made the playoffs five years semifinals, four years, conference finals, three out of five years they were in the playoffs, but they never got over the hump into the finals. That was their issue as they never could get into the finals, but they made it oh my, their regular seasons were just powerhouses. They the problem was they're playing in the Kobe era and you couldn't really get past them and the Spurs and that is who they had trouble getting past. The Lakers, the Spurs, and they just could never get over that hump. But this duo together was one of the best regular season duos of all time. In my opinion, they are a top 10 pick and roll duo in NBA history. And that allowed Amari Stoudemire to flourish, having the absolute best years of his career with Nash. Amari Stoudemire averaged 24 points per game, nine rebounds, one and a half blocks, and it's 359 359- Games with Steve Nash but this is about Steve Nash and Steve Nash alongside Amari Stoudemire because obviously Steve Nash was the second option in this case five-time all-star alongside Stoudemire averaged around 16 and a half points 11 assists he had the most assist numbers of his entire career alongside Amari Stoudemire because of absolute dominant pick and roll offense they ran game in and game out it was just an absolute powerhouse Steve Nash 50% from the field, 40% from three. I don't have his three throws propped up, but I'm sure he was in the 50-40-90 club in his seasons with Amari Stoudemire. That's how dominant this duo was. It just sucks that they could never get over the hump, get past the Lakers, get past the Spurs. They always fell short. Again, they made the playoffs five out of the five years, semifinals four years, conference finals three years, but again, could never get to the finals because of Kobe, Tim Duncan, that whole Those teams sucks. But again, Steve Nash to Star, Sotomayor, I think is one of the most underrated duos that never gets talked about enough because they just were playing in the wrong era that they couldn't win in. But those years, they were so dominant in the regular season. And moving on to my
1: last of the duos or second options, mine is J.R. Smith to Carmelo Anthony. Um, What made them so special is they moved teams together. J.R. Smith was originally drafted by the New Orleans Hornets in 2004. Uh, In 2005, he goes to the New Orleans-Oklahoma City Hornets after Hurricane Katrina. And then one year later, in 2006, he moves on to the Denver Nuggets to team up alongside Carmelo Anthony. Um, And they were very solid in Denver with J.R. Smith averaging 13, 12, 15, 15, and then 12 again. And by this time, we hit 2011 where Carmelo Anthony ends up leaving uh, for New York And so does J.R. Smith, right alongside him. Uh, And in New York, they put together some special moments. I mean, I love going back and watching J.R. Smith highlights because that dude was a human highlight reel for his time. One of the, I think, most underappreciated scorers of our time. He did it all. He had that, like, 42-inch vertical. He was one of the best three-point shooters in the league at that time. Uh, He did everything for both New York and Denver, and it really showed – as to why he was teammates with Carmelo Anthony for nearly like eight or nine years combined. And uh, according to basketball reference, he's rated as JR, uh, JR Smith is rated as Carmelo Anthony's greatest teammate of all time. As uh, he has, no, he's played uh, the most games with Carmelo Anthony by over 130 games because they have Nene ranked second. Um, it's not by like a skill level, it's by win percentage, games played, oh, that's fair. Uh, all of that. So he has the highest win percentage alongside J.R. Smith, a better win-loss record, most games played. So J.R. Smith and Carmelo Anthony, in my eyes, were a very underappreciated duo because they were pure scorers, pure bucket getters, no assists because they didn't care about passing because they could pull the rock from 33 feet out and drain it. So these guys were super fun to watch in both New York and Denver. And J.R. Smith, in my eyes, is extremely underappreciated for what he's done in the NBA. And so is Carmelo Anthony, just for the fact that he was never able to get that NBA ring. So uh, both of these guys, very special players. And J.R. Smith, I got to give him a shout out, uh, even though he kind of screwed LeBron over a little bit. So,
2: Out of all your duos, which duo do you think underperformed the most? 100%. That never just reached potential. Tyreek Evans and DeMarcus Cousins. You think it could have been big? I think it could have been huge. Just because
1: they were both super good at one point in their careers, but it never worked out.
2: I would have to go with, obviously, Westbrook and KD is a big one. I mean, no brainer. But honestly, Steve Nash and Amare Stoudemire. the amount of research I was doing on this and just like, they had two 60-win seasons, five seasons over 50 wins, and they could never get over the hump to get to the finals and win. I mean, that's just a disappointment because they were just so dominant together. Again, I would rank them as a top 10 pick and roll duo in NBA history. I'd have to go with them. I think Yao and Tracy are up there too.
1: Just because they were so good all the time, but they could never get past like the Spurs. Or the Lakers. The Lakers. There was just, the Western Conference at that time was loaded. And so despite Houston being good all the time, there was just better teams out there.
0: Hmm, Probably Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. Um, Drew Holiday kind of just, after he got off the Sixers, didn't really know how to turn it into a second option. So that really didn't. He didn't really end up turning into that second option all the way until 2018. So obviously underperformed, only making the playoffs two times in five years. But they were still a really fun regular season team. They both were just injured all the time. So I think they really could have been something good if they wouldn't, if they would have stayed healthy. I agree with that. And then you have Boogie. That would have been like one of the best teams
2: mm-hmm. in the NBA. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, and that is all we have for you guys
1: this weekend. Thank you all for tuning in to WVUA 90.7 FM and the Full Court Press Podcast. Alex, Nick, and I will be back Friday with the NBA's Best Dynasties tier list. That's going to be a fun one. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Podcast underscore UA and on TikTok at fcp underscore podcast. This is Jamie, Alex, and Nick signing out. Peace. See you guys.
0: WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa.